So, It's been very good actually to um, speak with you today and yesterday and get a sense of the dedication um, to being with this process of applying Dharma um, in your and in my own life. Um, it's not while many of you are experiencing the relief in some way, the happiness of being on retreat, it's also not necessarily that easy. Um, and many of you, and, and I myself as well, when I'm practicing in these uh, forms, one is challenged by meeting states of mind and feelings and body experience, body sensations that are uncomfortable that usually we would move away from if we had the opportunity, sort of change channel and shift the reality. So it's, it takes um, a certain amount of staying power to maintain the form of a retreat and to stay within it and be to be willing to go through the various experiences in order to um, become more realistic and to contemplate our human experience more um, immediately and more directly rather than just thinking about ourselves but actually coming into relationship with what we call ourselves. In some ways, this activity of meditation is skillful relationship. We talk about being in relationships and having relationships, but often we don't have a relationship with ourselves first. Our breath, our body, the feelings, the moods. And staying with all of that is entering this boundary or the container of a retreat using the template. connected with this word contemplate to enter a template or a temple to enter a boundary deliberately and to stay within that experience, that limitation this is one of the most ancient ways of practice and, to, and as we do so we, we will feel that challenge of staying within the boundary within the template, within the limitation, or within one sitting, sitting here. Some sittings can be peaceful, but some can be really hard just to sit here. You know, the mind becomes restless, and would just everything wants to move away. Or we become bored and just feel fed up. Or we just want to go and go to sleep and hide under the duvet. So all sorts of different feelings will come and experiences and moods, but we'll have the opportunity to see them 
And what's more, we'll have the opportunity to see them change. To see that actually throughout the whole day, we'll experience many different moods, many different feelings. One minute we'll love the Dharma, want to dedicate our whole life and all our future lives. (laughs) And the next minute we can't understand what on earth we're doing here. (laughs) We got ourselves into this at all. I mean, I still have moments when I really have no idea how I got into myself into this whole thing. You know, so we can go through that range of response in, in, in a day, you know. We can see, we can experience, you know, great peace and happiness, focus, and then by the afternoon the mind can be all over the place, bouncing off the walls. The body can be comfortable, and then it, then it produces a lot of discomfort. Different moods, different feelings, different experiences. One minute we love it, one minute we can't stand it, one minute we like someone and then we hate them. Once they were our friends and then they become our enemies. One minute it's cold and then it's hot. Too hot, too cold. Too little, too big. Too much, not enough. And on and on it goes, all these different variants of experience. But what we can do when we stay within the, in the boundary, within the template, is we see that they move and they change. As uh, Master Wall says, seeing the states change. Rather than being changed and shaped by the state that we're experiencing. During our life, we experience many different kinds of situations. The Buddha said that we are all subjected to these worldly winds, whatever, whoever we are, whatever circumstances we find ourselves, whether we're a pauper or a king or a queen, whether we're, you know, rich or poor or successful or not, we're going to experience both gain and loss. Sometimes we'll have a lot and be a great sense of achievements and then sometimes there'll be a great sense of loss. At one point we might have a lot of assets and a lot of wealth and then we can experience as people did in 2008 the uh, what happened in the banks and across the particularly in the western world a country like Greece or Ireland where some of my relatives live and at one point there was an incredible hubris of wealth there not so many years ago people building these massive crazy houses in tiny little Ireland as if they were living in Texas or something. It's kind of mad, a madness that overtook the whole country because there was such a flood of wealth. You know, people would, you know, you'd, you'd be shamed for holding your hand out for change when you're in a shop in Dublin. You need change, you know. You just, people would just walk away, wouldn't bother to even pick up their change because everyone felt so kind of wealthy. 
after being actually a country that was impoverished for many for a long time my father left Ireland be, be, uh, as an economic emigrant because there was so much poverty went to London to work for Guinness as <laughs> 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 did all my Irish relatives still do some of them as well, I was brought up in Guinness so. so you know one minute in Ireland I had this huge wealth and then when I was there just not so long ago there's a tremendous sense of absolute despair, crash. I was picked up in Dublin, I was waiting at, for, to get the bus to the airport and this taxi driver drove up and said I'll take you for half price, I'll take anyone for half price. So he wasn't supposed to tout for business there, but he says, I don't care, I need the business. So I jumped in his cab and started talking. So how's it going? He said, terrible. And earlier that week, someone had one of his mates, another taxi driver, shot themselves, killed themselves. So it's quite frequent, people just killing themselves because they have experienced so much loss. Can't get their jobs. So it can change, it can change just like that. Whether personally, or whether country or globally, gain and loss, pleasure and pain, can can really experience sometimes some very extreme pains and extreme pleasure. This is what we can experience as human beings sometimes being very, very successful, being, receiving a lot of accolades and really rising to the top of the pile, whichever pile we're in. Yeah. And it's very lovely, it's very lovely to, to, to receive success and to be praised, but be careful because it can very easily turn to the opposite. One can receive harsh criticism. No one is immune from that. Even the Buddha was highly criticized. People trying to kill him and constantly challenging him. So these, what's called the worldly winds, gain and loss, praise and blame, happiness and unhappiness, success and failure, pleasure, pain, these are, these are the experiences that we have, but if we get really, if we don't really understand that they're part of the changing winds of the world, then we can become elated and devastated. We don't see that they have this changing nature. And so in this kind of situation here, in this container, we have the chance to realize and to see this changeability and to begin to get some perspective on it, to begin to not get so elated and devastated with every whim of the mind, every changing mood of the heart, every different kind of circumstance that we experience. Everything is in this state of change. It's the Buddha when that's what really began his quest was when he realized how impermanent everything is in reality. It's said that 
he was brought up in a very comfortable situation and then he at a certain point he, he wanted to explore the world outside of the palace he was brought up in this comfort zone basically protected, highly protected from the, some of the, the harsher realities of life a bit like how we are in our modern world where we protect ourselves from so many of the realities living in our comfort zones But it became tedious, I guess, at a certain point. And he wondered, is there anything else? You know, what's what's outside of the walls that he was living within? And so he took this journey one day. And instead of finding thrilling things, he came across what's called traditionally the heavenly messengers. He came across someone that was really wretchedly sick, in the gutter vomiting and covered in sores and and he looked at this person and was disgusted but then he realized he began to realize wow you know am I am I is this body can can it also experience sickness we like to feel we can be immune we're special somehow but every every one of us saint or sinner, every one of us can be subject to sickness of one sort or another. And then he saw a a very aged person, decrepit, leaning over, could hardly walk, not very nice to look at. And again, it shocked him. Am I going to get like that? All crinkled up? decrepit and looking you know looking not no one's attractive not attractive anymore and then lastly the last heavenly man if he hadn't got the message already then he saw a corpse a dead corpse lifeless and he was really like is that is that what's going to happen to me this body and it said at that point, he commented that the, that the, the reality of impermanence really entered deeply into his heart. I mean, I'm sure he must have seen those things before as we do, but somehow at that moment there was a real allowing of this reality of the power of impermanence deep into his heart. And it's, he said at that point, the vanity of youth the vanity of life, the vanity of permanence left him. He woke up, he began to wake up, he completely reorientated his life. He began his quest, is there anything that transcends death? Is there anything that's not impermanent? This became his great quest. But the, the, the awakening point was this, this insight, very vivid insight, and powerful confrontation with this experience of the impermanence of the body, how vulnerable and fragile the body can be. When it's healthy, it's great, you know, but when we feel sick, we really know who's got the ace card in the pack. But it's not, as Ajahn Chah would say, the body doesn't say, excuse me, can I get sick? Do you mind if I get a cold? 
just happens sometimes. It's just the nature of the body. It's not one's done something wrong. It's just the nature of the body. Even great saints get cancer, get sick, die. This is the nature of the body. And then the fourth messenger he saw was a very peaceful practitioner, a sadhu, a wanderer, which symbolized the path. There's another way, there's a path. Instead of just going through life, reacting to the worldly winds, trying to hold on in this changing, shifting world, he realized there's a way of beginning to contemplate this experience and to not only contemplate it, but to inquire, to use the experience to, of, of one's incarnation, one's humanity, inquire, to inquire deeply into this quest, which is our quest. It's the same quest, it's always been the same quest. Is there anything that transcends impermanence? And who am I ultimately? Am I just this body? Is that it? Here and then dying? What's the point? So as the Buddha began to practice, he, he saw that you know, not only on the external level, but internally, at a very subtle level, everything is anicca sankara Anicca, anicca means, anicca means permanent or stable or constant. Anicca means it's not that. What a sankara? Sankara means everything that's compounded, everything that comes together, whether it's a thought form or universe, everything is anicca. Every form, every feeling, every thought, every experience, every day, every night is anicca. Has this quality of changeability, of flux, of flow, of of impermanence comes to be and then passes, comes to be and then passes, comes to be and then passes. This experience of the the senses, seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, thinking, feeling that we've been contemplating in our meditation. Usually we get so involved in the content of what we're experiencing. Is it good or is it bad or how, why am I experiencing this and what should I do about that? And on and on and on it goes. But in this, this vipassana, in this content, contemplative meditation, we're encouraged, yes, it's interesting to look at all the content, but we're encouraged to actually see the construct that actually Whatever it is, whether it's horrible or whether it's lovely, it has this same nature. It has this changeability. It's moving and changing, arising and passing. And learning as we do this, and this this is the beginning of of some kind of wisdom, some kind of understanding. If everything's in a state of flux or change, what can we really ultimately hold on to? What can we really own? What can we really grasp? 
Ajahn Chah said, looking for certainty in the uncertain, one is bound to suffer. A lot of our suffering, a lot of our struggle comes because we, we know this truth, we hear it, but we don't know it somehow. We, like the Buddha, you know, he was shocked into to, to allowing it into his heart. When he saw a corpse, you know, that kind of did it. But we know this, but we don't know it because we don't act in the way that reveals this under this deeper wisdom that everything is in this state of change of anicca. So we have to sort of, in a way, encourage ourselves to keep seeing this truth to keep contemplating it. And this is why it's so helpful to stay within these containers, like a, a meditation sitting or a meditation retreat, because we, we, we have vowed to stay within the container, we have vowed to stay within the template in the temple. And then within that we start to see that the day started, it began light, and then it starts to go to dusk we begin to see that a good meditation can turn into a bad meditation. A bad meditation, if we give it those value judgments, can turn into a good meditation. A restless state of mind can turn to peace. Peace can turn to restlessness. Doubt can go to confidence. Confidence can go to doubt. The sounds can come and then they go. The feelings arise and then they pass. The sound of this talk arises with sound and then it dissolves. Everything keeps dissolving. The sights that we see when we look through our senses and feel through our senses and hear through our senses and think through our senses has this sense of some continuity, but in reality it's constantly, there's constantly this moment of seeing and hearing and thinking that it's constantly changing, arising and passing. And we, and we feel that it, you know, it has this solidity, it has this kind of permanence to it. But as we look with this inquiry, we actually see more and more that it's, things are constantly arising and passing, here and then not here. So Ajahn Tate, one of the forest masters, said this practice is to learn to discern the difference between what is changing and the unchanging. To know the changing, the activity of mind and mind. To see what is arising constantly and passing, constantly arising and passing, and what remains. That which is aware, that which is present, that which is knowing, can know what is arising and passing, can see, can recognize the light in the morning turns to the dark in the evening, the sounds of the Dharma talk dissolves back into silence, the happy mood 
changes to the sadness. And yet there's something that remains, there's something that's knowing, there's something that, that is present. But we take what is present and what is, remains and what is aware, we say that's not very real. We take what is changeable and we say that's very real. So the Buddha said we take what is unreal to be real and what is real to be unreal. It's real, I'm not saying you're not real. but <laughs> We're real, but we're also not quite real. We're, that's why they said, they say in the Buddha Dharma that our, this experience of the world, the experience of life, it's not a value judgment, it's not a put down, but they say it's dreamlike. It's real enough, but it's got a dreamlike quality to it. And what is real, what is actually here, what is present, what is unchangeable, what is solid and mountain-like, we don't recognize. And yet it's the most intimate and the most with us, the most here. And it's that which allows us to actually experience, illuminates the world around us. So to know that which is arising, the activity and passing the activity of the mind and to know the mind, to know the awareness. This this is our practice of mindfulness to discern the difference. Through our contemplation of change, we can contemplate as when the Buddha gave his first teaching on the Four Noble Truths, at the end of the teaching, this is the first time that he, um, he spoke after his awakening. At the end of his teaching, one of the disciples that were, was listening awakened, had an awakening. His name, the disciple was named Kondanya, Anya Kondanya, which means Kondanya, the one that knows. And what he knew, what he understood as he listened to the Buddha was a very, very simple insight, stunningly simple. He understood that all that arises passes. But in understanding that, really deeply understanding that, he awakened, he awakened to the unchanging. He recognized the un, the, what's called the Amata Dharma, the unchanging Dharma. He recognized it through contemplating change, being able to see. And we can recognize, we can begin to recognize that which is changeless through contemplating change. If it's moving, it's not the changeless. <laughs> So it's a bit of a koan, and we'll explore this as we deepen into our retreat. But the, the, the royal, the many gateways, but one of the royal gateways is through this beginning to really see the changeability of that which we assume to be ours, which we assume to be permanent, which we assume we make assumptions about, but we assume wrongly often. 
not the case that things are going to be be always the same or unchanging that friends will always stay friends that countries will always stay wealthy that empires will always exist that planets will always be here everything has its time it seems extraordinary really for us to come to terms with this powerful reality but there is that which can know this that which can know change and it's in that this buddhi this knowing that we can begin to find refuge we can begin to know a place from which we can then contemplate our experience rather than be so reactive and swept away by it. So it's said, all conditioned things are impermanent. They have the nature to arise and pass away. But in their passing, there is peace, there is freedom, there is liberation. And it is this that the Buddha awakened to, this profoundly unmoving peace, which we can awaken to as well. As we deepen our contemplation and our ability to become more realistic in terms of the reality of impermanence, in terms of our experience in this life, becoming more realistic and more in touch with the realities that we live within through this contemplation, we too will be able to awaken and to taste this peace. This peace that's undying, that's ever-present, that's here and now, to which all things arise and to which all things dissolve. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.